Martin Show. to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Oh, my goodness. That's the longest home run to center field we have seen in this ballpark. T.C. Martin. Way back it might be. It could be. Cobb's win. Cobb's win. Holy cow. Look at the left fielder. He has the ball yet. He has not won. And here Cobb's comes out on the field. Glad to have you with us on a wild Wednesday, middle of the proverbial work week, the hump day, T.C. Martin Show, streaming live, of course, tcmartinshow.com. Ballpark Frank in the house. Earthquake present and accounted for. Yes, here we are. Today, Chris Bozzi is going to join us. We talk a little Major League Baseball heading into the final week of the regular season. Five games to go. And then, yes, the postseason is upon us starting next week with 16 Major League Baseball playoff teams. We'll talk to Boz regarding that. We have a lot of baseball to touch on. The good, the bad, the ugly. We'll dive into that today. Also give you some more NFL news. We get ready for week number three. It is right around the corner. And that's the thing. You just come off a Monday night football game, and then here we are. Boom, we're right back at it again for Thursday night football. Actually, we've got a Thursday night college game, a Friday game as well, and then we'll get back into the Saturday routine. So, yes, football season is here, and we are glad to have you with us. All right. So, very sad day uh, today, and we've had a lot of sad days in the world of sports, but getting the news today that one of the greatest NFL running backs of all time had passed away, Gail Sayers, dies at the age of 77. He's had dementia for the last several years. One of the most dynamic running backs of all time. And I know, Frank, you has a, a place in your heart being a native Chicagoan and a Bears fan to lose one of the greatest Bears, maybe not even one of the greatest, probably the greatest Bear of all time, Gale Sayers. And I know a lot of people probably can't appreciate the greatness. When they think of the Bears, they think of Walter Payton. And that was a very sad day. Uh, a guy that died very, very young many, many years ago. But before there was Walter Payton, there was Gale Sayers. And unfortunately, you probably have to be at least 60 years old or your late 50s, mid-50s to have claimed to see Gale Sayers play, whether it was in person or on television. But if you just go back, you read the history books, you go back and you look at the old clips, he was one of the most dynamic running backs we've ever seen. And a guy that only played seven seasons because of the knee injuries but uh very sad every time we lose somebody but you know it's a guy that that is he was a class act too as well and i'll let you you know get your thoughts on this Uh, i know we both have thoughts on this but uh again just uh not only a great running back but just a a great human being the kansas comet because of he went to the university of kansas um 
you know, he had a couple other names too, you know, magical names. But uh, Gail Sayers, very sad day that uh, he passes away at the age of 77. Yeah, and like you said, um, you know, I was a little bit, I was very young when he was playing in his prime in that. I don't even think we had a TV, but you'd still hear the highlights in that. And in fact, I was just watching on my uh, phone here before the show the uh, the magical day that he had six touchdowns, uh, December 12th, 1965. Uh, and that game was actually at Wrigley Field in the rain. Uh, Mike Ditka is one of the guys doing the commentary on it, and he talks about how it was a slippery field for everybody that day with the exception of Gail Sayers because for whatever reason, it just didn't affect him whatsoever. Had four rushing touchdowns, an 85-yard punt return, and he also uh, caught a pass for a TD in that game. A class guy. I believe he's still the youngest person ever enshrined in the uh, NFL Football Hall of Fame because there were some people questioning whether or not his career was long enough to be there, but he was so dynamic. And I'm sure a lot of people out there have seen the movie Brian's Song. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. I like the original one better than the second one. But, you know, I mean, that's, you know, it's personal taste to some people. I think they're both okay, but the original was great. But part of that movie, in fact, a lot of it was based on a book called I Am Third. And I read that book years ago. It's basically Gail Sayers' autobiography at that time of his life. And if you don't know what I Am Third is, this was a guy who was energetic and is exciting just a highlight reel on the field he was super shy and when he was at Kansas they said that he was so shy that he would go into his coach's office all the time and his coach had a placard on the desk that said I am third and Gail finally in his senior year got up the nerve to ask the coach about it because he was too shy because he didn't think that you talk to authority figures that way like a coach was like a father figure and he said finally one day his senior year he came up and he said why I am third? We're football players. I thought we strove to be number one. And he said that's why he named his book that, because I am third stands for his coach said, well, yeah, in football we try to be number one, but in life we try to be third. The Lord is first, my friends are second, and I am third. And I've always remembered that. He was a class guy. I had the pleasure of meeting him a couple times. Years ago I uh, was doing a Super Bowl remote at the Orleans and he was sitting there, and he, he was kind of incognito, but I was told that he was there. So I went up, and, and I met him, and he said, well, no, I said, I'm not, I don't want an interview or nothing. I just wanted to meet you and shake your hand. I actually got a picture with him. He sat and talked to me for about 15 or 20 minutes before the game. Uh, had a great time, just a class act in that. And then I said, well, I'm going to let you enjoy the game. And he said, well, I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. And we shook mm-hmm. hands, and we took a picture, and then I walked away. But, I mean, just it, it's funny because sometimes when you meet people that you kind of idolize or when you were a kid they were your heroes, you, you meet them, and a lot of times you're let down and disappointed. I was not that way whatsoever with him or with Walter Payton, who I had a right. chance to meet years ago. So it, it's nice when you meet somebody that you've always looked up to, and they actually live up to your expectations and, in fact, in a lot of ways, surpass that. Yeah, and we can. Uh, that's another conversation for another time. And I think there, there's a guy on that list who you're talking about who played in that era who we both have, have met and done some stuff with that I think you know, fits that, and that can be uh, you know, for another time. Well, I'll just say it, it was Paul Horning you know, for me, and it was a guy that I actually had done some radio broadcasts with. I know you got a chance to meet him as well. I think you and I both kind of felt the exact same way. You're kind of a little underwhelmed after you meet him because you had see how how not only just health has has taken these guys by the wayside but just you know some of their activities the way they live their life after football or off the field and of course you know Paul Horning has a lot of you know famous stories with that but back to Gail Sayers uh you mentioned uh you know the I am third thing and really that's where a lot of coaches and a lot of not just players but 
but people have always used the term, you know, well, you know, God first, family second, and football third. That's why right. you always hear the, the the term of God, family, football. Right. And you you and that's where I think a lot of that came from. Yeah, for sure. But you uh, you mentioned you know youngest in the Hall of Fame. And that is true. He was 34 years old when he was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and that's a takeaway for me. Still the youngest of all time. A guy that is 34, and he only played seven seasons. He didn't play for this juggernaut or powerhouse because the Chicago Bears were really not that. You know, it's kind of like Ernie Banks with the Cubs. You know, here, here's Mr. Cub, but a guy that never got a chance to play in the postseason. But uh, well, uh, rather, Gail Sayers uh, was phenomenal. And one of the things that, that stand out to me is that he had a 1,000-yard th- rushing season, and that was a big deal back in those days. Yeah, because it know, was 12 games. Yeah, 12 games and then later 14 games. Uh, a 1,000-yard season, and that was – after he had torn his ACL and his MCL the season prior. And that's what derailed his career. And he only played seven seasons. And I believe that season was the 1970 season, or the 69 season. And then uh, he ended up having to retire for good in 71. Yeah, and and you mentioned that they weren't exactly a juggernaut. I'll give you an idea of how bad they were. This was a team that got Gale Sears and Dick Butkus both and still managed to finish last. (laughs) The next season. Hmm. They had nobody around them. Hmm. They were god-awful. You they were, like Jack Concannon as your they, quarterback? They were terrible. But those two guys were great on, the, uh, on their own. And Gail Sears, uh, rookie of the year winner. Uh, another real quick story about him. Uh, you mentioned that he went to Kansas. And then I, I talked earlier about how shy he was. One story that I'll always remember from the book, I Am Third. He told a story about when he was in college. And him and his buddy, I think it was a wide receiver that he roomed with, and he was an outgoing guy, a ladies' man, and they were going out to a club one night, and he taught Gail a dance move. And Gail was too shy to actually do the dance move. He, he was afraid to do it. He actually met his future wife that night, but he was too shy to go on the dance floor with her. So his friends kind of mad at him. That was a Friday night. The next day on Saturday, they have a game with Kansas and one of their arch rivals at the time. Gale's returning the opening kickoff because he returned punts, kickoffs, and was the running back as well. I mean, just did it all back in those days. Probably would have played defense if you asked him to. He said the kickoff comes down. He takes it at the five. He starts going up the field, and about the 30 or 40-yard line, he does the dance move on a guy that's trying to tackle him. He does the spin move and goes by the guy and goes 95 yards for a touchdown on the opening kickoff. He said he's smiling ear to ear. He goes to the sideline. The crowd's going crazy, 95,000 people. He goes over to the sideline, and his buddy's there, and he goes, did you see it? Did you see it? And he said, my friend looked at me, and he had a clenched fist because he wanted to punch me. He said, I teach you this move to go out and meet some girls last night. You're too shy to do it, but you do it in front of 95,000 strangers out there. That kind of summarizes Gail Sears. On the football field, he was the most energetic, electrifying player in the game at the time. But real life, he was very shy, humble, and unassuming. Very, very introverted. And I think you mentioned Brian's song and just a great movie. And we, we saw that. I you think know, they were the first grim- black and white teammates to ever room together yeah. on the road, too. Not yeah. with the Bears, but with any NFL yeah. club. Because back then it was controversial. And they were both like, well, what's the big deal? They're like, no, this really is a big deal. Yeah. Are you guys cool with this? Right. And they did a fantastic job in the making of that movie, not just the football scenes, but it portrayed exactly how Gail Sayers was in life. Like I said, being very introverted. And of course, Brian Piccolo, you know, that story really was 50, 50 about Gail Sayers and Brian Piccolo. Uh, But 
Billy D. Williams, a fantastic job. James Kahn, a uh, tremendous job as well, too, as Brian Piccolo. But, yeah, Billy D. Williams as Gale Sayers, uh, one of the greatest movies of all time. So this reminds me of just what we have talked about before, about this year, 2020, just being such a tragic year for deaths of athletes, celebrities, and the list of iconic people that we have lost this year is is simply tragic. And as days go by, here's another one. Uh, Gail Sayers, dying at the age of 77 today. And I just tried to come up with a little bit of a list. And I know that I'm, I'm going to miss some people, but these are just you know guys that, that I remember and having conversations like this, whether it's on the radio during the show or off air. But, of course, Kobe Bryant. Uh, just you know that hit everyone really hard here at, at the beginning of the year. Wes Unseld, who a guy the way Gail Sayers is due, Wes Unseld was for me, uh, and with basketball with the Bullets, uh, Ken Riley, Johnny Majors, Pat Dye, Eddie Sutton. We're talking some great coaches there. Jerry Sloan, uh, Bob Watson, Don Shula, Mike Curtis, uh, Tavares Jackson, Glenn Beckert, former Cub. Second baseman. Exactly. Number 18. There you go. Al Kaline, Bobby Mitchell, Tom Dempsey held the record for the longest field goal forever. Yeah, with a club foot. Some people thought it was, he, he should have been made illegal because he had a special shoe. Exactly. Well, he had to have a special right. shoe. He couldn't wear a normal one. The 63-yard field goal back in those t- days of the terrible grass and dirt at yeah. the old uh, Saints Stadium. Uh, Jimmy Wynn, the toy cannon yeah. for the Astros. Tony Fernandez had a great Major League Baseball career with the Blue Jays. Uh, Willie Wood, who I got a chance to to know in Green Bay. Uh, Chris Dolman, the former Viking. Sam Weish, the head coach. Don Larson and David Stern. Uh, those are the people that have perished, and we're in not even into our ninth month here of 2020. So you know, and, lo- and I, can I throw in two more real quick? Sure. And just um. Today, also, along with Gail Sarah's wrestling world, and I know you worked with this gentleman, mm-hmm. Road Warrior Animal, yeah. passed away. Yeah. So, yeah. 60 years old. Mm-hmm. I remember when his son went to Ohio State to play linebacker and, you know, uh, Laronitis. So, uh, you know that. And then, uh, on a personal note, a person that I worked with uh, at the former place I was at, uh, Mark Seidel, who was a PD, uh, only 37 years old, really mm-hmm. nice guy, great guy. Just passed away the other day, and uh, uh, that that has shaken up a lot of people that I know. In fact, I just had uh, a lunch with a friend of mine, and he's still visibly shaken by it, as am I. So, you know, and and that's why, you know, and I don't want to get into a big soap opera here and that kind of stuff, but if you have special people in your life and that kind of stuff, let them know. You know, nothing's promised. And, boy, this year, you know, we always talk about, you know, things that, you know, give and give and give. This year just seems to take and take and take. And it's almost like you're afraid to get up every morning because you don't know what's next. Yeah. No, we've all been in, hit hard by that. Not just, you know, again, whether it's it's sports people, celebrities, family members, friends. And like you mentioned, Mark, a guy that we both were so very fond of. And, uh, uh, you know, that news, you know, that we got over the weekend was, was very, very sad. So may he rest in peace, one of our radio brethren. But, uh, you know, a lot of people say 2020, use the term, it, it sucks. And I remember that, you know, when we've had Tracy Murray on the, on the show, 
who after Kobe Bryant died and it hit him so very very hard because they were very close friends. But you know it's been a horrible year for so many reasons. And of course uh, with Kobe's young daughter as well. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but, that, that's that's probably even yes, more tragic because yes. Kobe had a phenomenal life mm-hmm. cut short. Her life was just beginning. Yes, but I mean really, I mean people will say. This and a lot of people like to point to like, hey, th- this year's horrible. It sucks. It's terrible because of so many deaths, the pandemic, of course, the social injustice, the cancellation of so many events, uh, seasons that were gone by the wayside. You know, the tournaments with the NCAA tournament, all these sporting events, the Olympic Games, the cancellation, and again, the, so much has been taken away, and our life has been restricted in so many ways. And Continuous still is at this point in time. So, you know, not many people are going to look back at this year of 2020 and think anything good happened. So, I guess my question here is is that a fair critique? Because it's real easy to say, oh, this year sucks, this and that. But when you start looking at it, it is something that a lot of us have never ever gone through so much in a short amount of time. And I just want to you know, kind of take a deep pause here for a second. And before we start you know, jumping on this, it's the, the worst year of all time. Is it a fair critique to say that? I think yes and no, because people have a short attention span and they tend to remember, just like every year in college football, obviously this year is different. But, you know, when a team starts off hot and it's the greatest team of all time, yeah. can they win something first before you do it? You tend to remember the things closest to you. And this has been an absolutely traumatic year, like you mentioned. It's also been a good year for some people as far as stocks and this, some people with money in that have actually had a good financial year and different things like that. And as far as saying is it the worst year ever, I don't know, is it worse than the year that the Twin Towers went down? Is it worse than a year that had the Vietnam War or you know World War One or Pearl two? I mean, Harbor, the, you know, there, yeah, there, there's yeah. a lot of things that happen throughout the course of time. You know, is it worse than a year that you lost a parent or God forbid a child, which is even worse uh, in a lot of people's life? So, on the whole, when you look at it, I think it probably is the worst to a lot of people. But when you break it down on an individual level, this hasn't been a great year for me by any stretch of the imagination. But it's the worst year I've ever had. The year that my father passed away was incredibly difficult to me because it happened suddenly and I didn't expect it. My mom, I knew she was going. It still hurt. So it it depends on your personal viewpoint and everything else. On the whole, this has been a terrible year. But the other thing that scares me a little bit is when everybody's like, oh, 2020 has been terrible. It's the worst year ever. We still have three months left, people. A little over that, you yeah. know. It's not. I, I'm I'm afraid to see the conclusion of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Can only get better, right? Is there going to be a happy ending I, I, on the other side? Maybe you know? you know, like sometimes you see a great movie and it's got an ending that really is garbage, right? Hopefully, this is the garbage movie that has a tremendous ending. And with a lot of those <laughs> movies, as you know. That we sit through for the first, you know, hour and 15 or hour and 20 minutes. And then, wow, all of a sudden, okay, it kind of came together. It was a good ending. That's very rare. Most of the time, if it stinks for the first 30 or 40 minutes, we're out of there. You know, either out of the theater or you give up on it if you're watching at home, right? If it's got an actor or an actress that you really like, sometimes you'll hang in there going, it's got to get better. Right. And then the final credits are rolling and you go, wow. It never got better. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But at least the popcorn was good. Yeah. That, that's my saving grace. So I learned a long time ago, I love going to the theater. I love going to the movies. And I'll take a shot almost on anything, but I better have some hot, fresh popcorn. 
That's it. If I, if I got that, I, my night is good. That's it. That and, you know, you're a Coke guy. I'm a Pepsi guy. But I can go for a good Coke, too. But you give me some hot, fresh popcorn and a Pepsi, I'm sold. Yeah. Com- comfortable surroundings, I'm good. Now, do you like the movies more, or did you like going to the clubs and that and checking out the music that you like? I mean, movies are kind of relaxing. You just kind of sit back. See, but at the club, you're interacting with but people. But see, that, that. that's a good question. And so my answer is, earlier on in life, the clubs, you know. But again, I worked in all those clubs for, for so long, too. So, right. you know, kind of like... So it was kind of like your bread and butter and stuff. But it, yeah. it, it, it's funny, too, because, like, my, my brother used to work at a health club, and he used to run marathons and did a lot of stuff. When he worked there every day, all of a sudden, he didn't want to work out anymore. In that. And, and that's right. how it can be, too. Or, or were you somebody who you worked at the club, and then if you went out, you went out to a different type of club or maybe a little bit of a different vibe? Yeah, uh, a little bit to a certain degree. But, you know, back to, I think, as I got older, that's when I really started appreciating the movies. Because, like you said, it's the chill time. And, and again, I love... Yeah, you can just sit back and go entertain me. Exactly. If, if you yeah. want to... Like, I'm one of those people... Like, some people, my friends didn't like going to certain movies mm-hmm. with me. Like, especially, like, horror movies or slasher mm-hmm. flicks. Because I would try to sit there and I would analyze them. Mm-hmm. And I would always... The majority of the time, be right. I remember watching Halloween and just ruining it for everybody oh, I was yeah. there with. Yeah, it, my friends didn't want to let me ride home with them yeah. after that movie. Yeah. But I'm like, well, it was predictable. They're like, well, no, you just got to sit back and be entertained. I'm like, I'm not dumb enough to do that. I'm sorry. Yeah. I got to try to figure it out because because I should write this right. kind of stuff. Right. And, 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 and to that point, I mean, that's why I really like analyzing the cinematography and that sort of thing, even though I'm not a, a film type of guy. But back to your point, you know, going to concerts, I have a sometimes a problem with because being in that business promoting concerts i'm looking at the production element the the value yeah. and all that kind of stuff right and again if you go to see one of your favorite groups and you know those albums and those songs you're going to kind of pick that apart but in our business too with sports you know when you spend so much time say in a team's locker room or you're on the road and you're covering you do and we've talked about this a lot you get kind of immune to it and you become less of a fan and i know for me personally after all those years of of, of covering the packers i became less of a fan of the team because you see all the bs that goes on because you become friends with those with, with uh, the players and the coaches staff and especially in the NFL where those careers are basically 3 3 and a half years that's the average and and guys that you know you become friends with they're gone and we've talked about this with the golden knights as well too you, you know you become close to a lot of these guys you see them gone you see sports as a business so for me that's why I don't get as emotionally involved in sports like I used to and, uh, you know, with a lot of people here in Vegas, you know, I'm more into the sports from a handicapping or betting aspect. But being a true fan, it's hard if you're in this business or any business like that, you kind of get a little too close to. Yeah, absolutely. And it does change your perspective. And that's why, like, like I've kind of reverted back to being a Blackhawk fan again. Mm-hmm. And not that I ever wasn't a Blackhawk fan, but I was covering the Golden Knights, so I, I focused in on them a lot more. But I would still cheer for the Hawks. And one of my friends once sent me a thing, and they were like, well, you know, uh, you're saying that the Golden Knights have done a couple of things that are questionable. I'm sure the Hawks have too. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. But it didn't affect people that I knew. I knew Pierre Edouard Belmar, and he was a great guy. And now what's going on with Marc-Andre Fleury and stuff? You do learn the business side. Whoever the Blackhawks screwed over all those years, I didn't know. I didn't have a personal relationship with. And, oh, by the way, when their organization got bad, the fans actually kind of walked out on that team and said enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Arthur Wirtz passed away, his son took over and tried to ingratiate the community again and re-welcome them and say, look, 
I'm sorry that things have been so bad the last few years. He actually tried to mend those fences, so they owned up to it in that. But, yeah, and real quick, though, too, and I know we got a break coming up here, but um, what about, like, live theater and that kind of stuff? I mean, do you, do you enjoy that? Because I know your daughter's involved in that kind of stuff, and it's like, and that's kind of an escape. I never got into live theater until I got a little bit older in Chicago. Then when I'd see it, I'd be like, well, some of this stuff is really pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've seen Jesus Christ Superstar, like, five times, yes. and yes. every time with different casts and that, and I'm like, this is pretty awesome. Yes. No, I thoroughly enjoy that. And, you know, I started going to Broadway plays probably, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years ago. I did hate then, Cats when I saw that. I yeah, see, I, did, I didn't that. see that. I'll still be very selective. I took my mom to see that yeah. years ago at yeah. the Schubert downtown yes. in Chicago. And I was like, oh, this is like 90 yeah. bucks I'm never getting back. And that was each ticket. And <laughs> you had to be careful of that. But anyway, yeah, for me, inter- entertain- <laughs> anything entertainment-wise, I'm going to be enthralled with. And I love it, whether it's, it, it's theater, it's music, it's concerts, it's productions. Yeah, no doubt about it. But I think we can all agree here that... What we really like, we'd all like to have a happy ending. Happy endings are good. Wouldn't you agree with that? Um, <laughs> yeah, for the most part, sure. As Quake is raising his hand and saying yes. There you go. The Sea Wind Special, ladies and gentlemen. When we come back, Chris Bazio is going to join us, and we'll talk Major League Baseball. Will it be a happy ending for some Major League Baseball teams? We'll hit that when we come back. Now, more of your favorite personal sports physician. Don't make me big. T.C. Martin. Of course, you are a character. Doesn't mean that you have character. The doctor is now in. Major League Baseball coming down the home stretch. Just a handful of games left, and then the playoffs will start next week. And we're going to break it all down with our good friend, the former pitcher, the former pitching coach, our guy. Chris Bazio, what is going on, my friend? It's all you, Doctor. How you doing? I'm uh, fair and continued hot, my friend. How about you? All good. Just got done uh, working with a young man here in Arizona and had a lot of fun doing it. Now we're back. My son, Jace, was hitting balls about 400 feet (laughs) over a berm, so... Had a great afternoon. Now get ready to talk to my buddy about a little baseball. There you go, man. Well, we appreciate you, as, as always. I know uh, you're watching very closely like a lot of us are. We've got some news today, Boz. Uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred announces that the LCS and the World Series will have fans. Now, we got the news last week that we are going to go into a bubble. We haven't had the bubble format in Major League Baseball for the first 60 games, and uh, this will take place in Arlington, Texas, home of the Rangers. They are going to have fans. But think about this. We're going to have fans for the League Championship Series and the World Series, but those fans are going to have to travel. So it's not like your fans get to come to your home ballpark. So I'm a little perplexed about this. All right. So doesn't this whole thing defeat the purpose of the bubble? We've played 60 games in home ballparks, and now we're going to play in a bubble, and we're going to have fans from different cities. Please explain this to me. What's that? I didn't hear you. That's, <laughs> that's how I explain it. Dead air. I got nothing. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm telling you, this will make a, a great... I don't, I don't know. Is it an hour? I mean, three hours, five hours, five months, five year 
talk radio show. I I don't even know where to begin with this. I know. I know. Well, go ahead. Take take a shot at it. I mean, give your best shot. Uh, when uh, you hear this one, news, what's what hits you about this? My first my first thing when I heard this was all right. I know when I went through the playoffs with the Cubs, my wife and kids, you know, on, on all the home games, we we had rules for the home games, on the road games, the rules are very clear. If you wanted to travel, you could do it. I can't imagine what that's going to be like in a bubble where they have to be quarantined for a period of time. Now you've got the ability for fans to come to Arlington if they can make it that far, or California if they can make it that far. So where's the quarantine in that for the fans? How are they going to do that? But you're just opening it up and you're going to allow them to go in? So... I mean, are, ten more questions to that. Is everybody going to be tested? What about the traveling TV crew? Are they quarantined? How can you have TV crew and fans at the same ballpark unless you're planning on making sure that everybody, and don't give me the six feet, because now you're going to have to make it even bigger. I, I, I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know how it's going to work. It's exciting that other teams are able to get in there, and now the commish comes out with this one. Boy, I I don't know. I, I'm, I'm starting to really miss the days when Mr. Selig was in there. You're not a big fan of Rob Manfred, are you? There's a lot of things. You know, I'm a, I'm a veteran I'm a retired baseball player, TC. My dad said something to me a long time ago, and I'm sure others have heard the same from their parents or grandparents. You're going to really wish things were the way they used to be. Baseball has a history. I mean, I can remember playing in the Appalachian League in Pikeville, Kentucky, going to Bluefield, West Virginia, playing against Billy Ripken. The minor league cities in El Paso, Sacramento, you know, I can remember going to Vegas, you know, back when I was in the PCL, going to Hawaii and playing, you know, some of the great pirate teams over there. And now some of these historic ballparks, just like Wrigley Field, just like Fenway Park, you know, and I, I sent you a text today about this, bud, where, you know, there's, there's players, there's coaches, there's scouts, there's owners. There's people that work on the grounds crew. There's volunteers. There's, there's host families that really, really reach out and try to help everyone by giving them affordable places to stay and comfortable places to stay where you don't have to struggle as a minor leaguer where back in the day there was five of us that lived in a ripped-up motor home because it was the only thing that we could find to live on. And you either slept on the floor, a sleeping bag, or an old mattress, or some, some old boxes. You know, what you're talking about. Everybody's got stories out there, but that's mine. And that stuff helped me in my career. It helped my friends in my career. It helped us become men. We learned how to live. We learned how to, to eat, how to survive. 
and now a lot of these things are, are taken away. I mean, some of these minor league owners and people that work at these minor league stadiums, TC, you know this, they, their lives revolve around this, and now this whole thing is being reshaped. There's new rules. There's new formats. First, now we're going into bubble. Now we're not going into bubble. You know, the the guy on second base rule, I, I, I still can't believe I'm watching baseball when I watch this. It has it, it has been a season that's featured the shortest schedule in history with the sixty games, no fans, like you mentioned, rule changes on the fly. Visiting teams are actually home teams. The Blue Jays home is in Buffalo. Not to mention the social unrest and the protests and a pandemic going on, but it has been downright crazy. And we visited with you from the very beginning. Spring training knew that there was all going to be there, these crazy questions. And here we, we're still having it as we're getting ready to go into the postseason. But I want to touch on something and, and set the tone for what you're talking about here, where a lot of our listeners are probably not familiar with. But Major League Baseball announced a, an agreement with the Atlantic League as a partner. They are an independent league. They're not affiliated within the traditional farm systems of Major League Baseball, the single, double-A, triple-A, etc. But uh, this, this league... The Atlantic League has been an experimental league for Major League Baseball for a while, testing out new rules like you mentioned, the runner on second base, or as I like to say, the, the girls' fast-pitch softball rule uh, in extra innings that we've been accustomed to in this Major League Baseball season. So what is the significance of this partnership with Major League Baseball in the Atlantic League? I think basically it's a... It's a training ground. It's a platform to try different things. So you're going to take a low-level minor league park. You're not going to be sticking major leaguers in there. You're going to be sticking minor leaguers in there and teach them about the new game. Okay? You're going to teach them about the new game. And I was watching the telecast the other day, and Todd Hollingsworth, who used to be an announcer for us, I've been watching the Marlins because I'm very interested in what's going on over there, as you know. And he talked about their young players being able to pitch, work faster, but also because so many of them are so young that they've had a lot of experience with the guy on second base rule. Well, the problem is, is that when you're facing minor leaguers, a lot of these minor leaguers can't hit a fastball away. Major leaguers can hit fastballs away. So you've got young, inexperienced pitchers trying to pitch like they did back in A ball or low A that are getting crushed because the same thing's not working at the major league level. I wonder why. Minor league innings, minor league at-bats, minor league reps are there for a reason. We've had so many young players get called up this year to the big leagues and rush to the big leagues out of necessity because of injury. I mean, you know, you know we've talked about this in length, and I feel so bad for all those players that have been hurt because a lot of these, are career-threatening injuries. 
and we knew this was going to happen, and now you're starting to see the same thing in the NFL. Chris Bosio joins us, the former pitcher himself, author of a no-no, and of course World Series champion as a pitching coach with the Chicago Cubs. Chris, when we're talking about some of the changes and the different things that are going on in baseball right now, what do you see that are going to be changes that we're going to see maybe in the future? Because I know there's a lot of talk about basically letting the, the computer or the, or the strike zone box start calling that and taking the home plate ump out of that, which kind of drives me crazy. But in some, t- some ways I can see it makes a little bit of sense maybe if you want to get everything right every time. And one thing that it really seems to me like that we're seeing, especially in this year with the bubble and the, the, the way that the play is set up, it really seems like they're setting things up for the DH to just be a universal thing, and that's just the way it's going to be. And I'm old and bitter, so I'm not a big fan of the DH, but I think it's something that almost seems inevitable at this point. Yeah, I mean, you know, it gives the guys that are limited in their, you know, position player ability, it gives them, you know, better opportunity. Um I'm old school again. I mean, I came up as an American leaguer facing the DH, playing in the American League East. And it was, it was tough. That's, that's how you, you learned how to pitch for me. You know, playing against the Yankees, playing against Boston, playing against the old Detroit Tigers and old Tiger Stadium, going up to Exhibition Stadium, playing against the Blue Jays. Facing the DH is no joke. I never had a chance to pitch in the National League until I coached in the National League. And it's an entirely different game. And I saw Joe Madden, you know, manipulate our lineup and double switch out to where we used it to our advantage because of the bench that we had. That is where I think some of the nuances in the, you know, the chess game that I really appreciated it because there is a certain way to do it and, a, and definitely a couple ways not to do it. You can't just let the lineup turn over and then in the third at bat pinch it for the pitcher. There's times when you got to do it earlier and go for it because you, you might only be given one opportunity in the game. That's where the National League style is different. The American League style, they sit back and they wait you know, for the three-run homer. But there's a way to do it in National League, and I, I'm with you. I mean, again, I'm, I'm approaching, you know, 60 years of age, but I also like a good chess game. You know, it's not, a, it's not just two cards up on the table, the best man wins. You know, there's got to be some hidden, some hidden tricks there, some... Uh, deception in the lineup or thinking that the guy's going to do this and he doesn't, or maybe you leave in that right-handed pitcher to face that lefty and stay away from it. And we saw that yesterday in a game with the Cubs and the Pirates. The Pirates made a move, brought in a young lefty, Howard, to face Rizzo in a 2 nothing game with two outs in the, in the top of the eighth. Rizzo can hit a breaking ball off a lefty. And you knew he was sitting on it, and sure enough, the kid, you know, wasn't a bad pitch, but he hung a breaking ball, Rizzo hit it in the stands, whereas if you would have stayed with the righty, and I'm not saying it would have worked out, but Rizzo has a hard time with cutters in. And the guy that was throwing had a little cutter, 
and a nice little breaking ball to stay down and in, but they decided to go with the lefty. And then the lefty, you know, the lefty has to face at least three guys. That rule, I think, is, I think that one's for the birds as well. You know, you are only a year and a half basically removed from, you know, coaching and, and, and being involved in Major League Baseball. I know you're watching very closely. Uh, how much do you miss it, especially when you're looking at a lot of the pitchers that you worked with over the years, and then even some of these younger pitchers that are that are coming up now? I mean, you and I have talked about you know Dusty and and all of the the young pitchers the Astros have, and you you know you know a couple of those guys. You know, one came over from the Cubs. Uh, how much do you do you miss this, especially at this time of year right now, especially working with these pitchers? Oh, I miss it terribly. The you know the stuff, the interaction with the players and the and the and the staff. You know, it's it's something that's always going to be a part of me. I, I will be very candid with you on this. I do not like the changes at all that are that are coming with it. That I don't miss. And I, being very honest with you, I can one hundred percent tell you if I was offered a, offered a job tomorrow, I probably wouldn't take it. Wow. Because I'd have a hard time with the direction that we're going in. And I still have connections with players. I still talk to players. I still talk to coaches. And universally, these guys are all saying the same thing. It's getting very frustrating. And, you know, they don't know where the game's going either. And they question our direction. Because it seems to be that like it's it's not real consistent, and I think the biggest problem that a lot of these guys have that are you know friends of mine or guys that I learned from is, is this this is not the way things were when we came up through the game. That the way they were taught and the way they taught me, and now we're trying to pass the torch on maybe for a second or a third generation. And the problem is the unknown, TC. You know, Chris. The problem one, is the unknown. You know, Chris. One of the things that a lot of people are talking about in all sports right now, and certainly in baseball as well, is at the end of this season, there's going to be asterisks after everything for the home run leader, for the World Series champ, for the Stanley Cup winner in hockey, and everything else. Do you think there will be asterisks after this baseball season, and should there be? Who won the World Series in '94? Um, Detroit Tigers? No, it was 84. <laughs> 94, that was the strike year. The World, That's right. World Series was nice. canceled. Who was? Exactly. Nothing. Exactly. I, I have Bud Selig signed two baseballs for me on the World Series that was never played. That's right. I remember this. Yeah. You look back on this, and people are going to have a hard time remembering who was even in the playoffs unless a Miami Marlin, maybe even an Oakland A, or I don't know, maybe maybe it's a Milwaukee Brewer. I don't know. You know, chances of, of an upset happening are the highest they've ever been this year because now we're going to, you know, three-game playoffs. There's no days off. There's no travel days. You've got these huge rosters to pick from. You've got guys who, whose arms are barely hanging on that they know 
that are they're hanging on. And and you got teams that have to travel. Like I saw one where if the Marlins get in, they have to go play the Dodgers in LA. In LA. You know this this regional thing. Well, now it sounds like we're going to even have another change on realignment again, possibly. I I just I, I just can't believe. I can't believe in just a short time in my career, this is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing, a, a, just for example, a Brewer team going from the American East to the National League Central. So, you know, there's a lot of different stuff going on that, you know, I'll be honest, I'm worried about. Yep. Yep. I really am. It's It's... It's crazy because now all these other things are coming out. You know, the format, the bubble, the travel, the playoffs. Uncle, can we just try to play the game and have some normalcy and back off on all the rule changes or all this other stuff just for a little while so we can try to enjoy this game that we love? Let me give you, before we let you go, Boz, you brought the 94 season. Here's a little trivia question. Who is the MVP of the 94 season? Give me the no American League and National League. Here's a little flashback. I have, I have, I have no idea because that year we were, we were trying to make a move with the Mariners, and when that season was canceled, it was literally like a washed-out year in my memory because yeah. I, I still couldn't believe I was a part of it. And I'd already been a part of two other strikes. Right. And now they canceled a World Series? My whole, the whole, my, my whole mind blank. I, I couldn't even tell you my stats that year. I, I remember up in Seattle, we had a problem with our stadium where some of the roof tiles were falling in. <laughs> we had to go on the road for thirty days and play in Houston. Right. Yeah, August eleventh, the uh, season ended. Yeah, we were done yeah. with that season. Yeah, yeah. Your MVP at that uh, strike shortened year in the American League, Frank Thomas, in the National League, Jeff Bagwell. There you go. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's a ninety-four. That's 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 crazy. All right, my friend. Hey, we'll let you go. Uh, we'll watch some baseball very curiously this weekend. Uh, we've got sixteen teams. That's unheard of. I, I can't fathom what's going on here because you've got teams that will be the seventh and eighth seed in the respective leagues that will have better records than maybe the sixth seed because what they're taking the top two teams from each division. So that's six in the American, six in the National. Then the two next best records. But like the Cleveland Indians have already clinched before the Houston Astros, who will be finishing second behind the A's. But the Astros will have a higher seed than the Indians, who will probably have three or four more wins. It's crazy. And then Rob Manfred says, you know what? We don't like, I don't like really care for the 16 teams in the playoffs this year, but we had to do it. But you know what? I'm, I'm not happy with 10 so he's proposing we go 14 teams the rest of the way. Come on. That's what he's saying. Yeah, you, this, is, this is the problem with it is the – literally, it's the foundation, TC. It's the foundation on our sport. I understand the pandemic. I understand, okay, we're going to do this for the year. But there's a way to do it and still have consistency – you can't just make and throw all these rules up one year because there's too much at stake. There's too much at stake. And to be wishy-washy, it's one thing if, you, if you're direct and you stay consistent with it. 
this just feels like it's too it's too wishy washy. I think for everybody, and it's everybody's saying the same thing about their concerns with this. And it's like they're they're just like you did. They're making a comment, but there's like that little question in there, like, did you hear what? You know what's going on? It's like doubt, concern, and like what? What, what was that? And you got to read. You got to explain it again because it's never been done before. I'll, I'll I'll say the Montreal Expos were the best team in '94. How's that? That. They would they they had the shot to win it all, and plus they had the great uniforms. Let's don't forget that. Yeah, you know what? Never had a chance to go up and play there, but some of the stories I heard that Randy Johnson told me about Montreal—they had one of the best organizations in all of baseball. Great farm system too. They really did. Great scouting, yeah. tremendous scout. My old high school catcher, his name was Pat Sullivan, came a scout with the Oakland A's, and he won a couple World Series rings scouting for them. He went over to Montreal, and he goes, he tried to recruit me after my year with Milwaukee when I went 16-6 and six on my, my walk year. Hmm. He's like, Boz, I'm telling you, Montreal, these, these guys, <laughs> they've got it figured out, and they really, they really want you to pitch for them. And I, I was like, man, my, my mom's got Hodgkin's. My grandma and grandpa aren't doing well, and my grandpa really wants me to pitch you know, on the West Coast. And I said, I hope you can understand that. And then that's when my grandfather passed away. It was that spring, my first year with Seattle. But I've heard nothing but great things about that organization. It doesn't surprise me, you know. And, you know, it's, that's the history we're talking about, TC, mm-hmm. stuff like that. You know, growing up in Sacramento, you know, watching this, the Giants down in Candlestick, my dad's favorite team, Watch going to Oakland and watching the big, bad Oakland A's and the Bash brothers and all that coming up with, you know, even before that with Raleigh Fingers and Gene Tennis and Joe Rudy. You know, Terry Steinbeck was a good friend of mine. You know, it's, it's just crazy. And, and now, you know, watching the Raiders in Vegas, Beautiful stadium, by the way. Congratulations <laughs> to you guys and everybody who lives up there. It's just absolutely unbelievable. But one of the most impressive things I've ever seen in my life was going down to Oakland and watching Oakland and the Dallas Cowboys. I thought the Niners and the Cowboys was special. Watching Dallas come into Oakland and that place, the most intimidating place I've ever been to in any sport in any stadium. Yeah, you try going to some of those playoff games back in the day. You know, Raiders, Dolphins, Raiders, oh Steelers. Yeah, just just amazing. So incredible, oh. incredible feeling, and just when you pull into the parking lot, you like you better get your rear end across them tracks before it gets dark. <laughs> exactly. It's <laughs> still that way. All right, brother. And don't forget, Sirloin and Brew right across the street. They had the Tuesday night special. So if you want to go there, go see the Warriors. Go to, you can go to Sirloin and Brew, Frank, and have yourself a sirloin steak and a brew for under 10 bucks, and then go see the Warriors afterwards. Let's go. Thank you. There you right? go. You know what I'm talking about, Boz. Yeah, we used to make that trip down I-80. Got to love it. All right, but yep. we, we could talk for hours and hours. Hours and hours, as you know, man. So we appreciate you, as always, my friend. Uh, we'll talk to you real soon. Uh, we'll talk to you next week, and as we are, we'll be in some playoff baseball. Believe it or not.
All right, guys, be safe. There you go. Appreciate it. Here is Chris Bazio, uh, great pitcher, great pitching coach, World Series ring with the Cubs, threw that no-no in 1993 with the Seattle Mariners, former Brewer himself, worked on you know with Joe Madden with the Cubs, uh, and uh, more importantly, just, just a, a great friend and uh, willing to share story after story. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to throw this in, too. You were talking about the Expos. Do you remember the Expos mascot? I do. I Expos mascot was Yuppie. Yuppie. Okay. You know what happened not, to him afterwards? Yuppie ha- still got Yuppie got another job, which isn't that easy for a mascot to do. After the Expos left and they folded, yeah. Yuppie is actually the mascot for the Montreal Canadiens. So, oh really? He switched over to hockey. He didn't so. go to Washington with the Nationals. No, huh? he did not. Wow. Yuppie uh, went over to the Canadiens, so he still he's, he still has employment. <laughs> you know, works eighty two games a year instead of one hundred and sixty two. But you it's know. really weird when you think of hockey mascots. You know, it, it is kind of strange. I know the Flyers, people will talk about you know the Flyers and this and that. Well, but Gritty, I mean, he's he's insane. And, and they love Chance out here. Chance actually beat Gritty in a fans poll as the number one mascot that. in the NHL this I remember year. that. But there's not, there don't seem that many NHL mascots. And again, I think... I think almost every team has one now. But they, they just don't... You know what I'm saying? No, they're not, not as, they're not as predominant as right. they are in the in, in when baseball... And of course, everything really right. started with the San Diego chicken. Exactly. But... It, how much of the popularity does Gritty have because of the Philly Fanatic? Let's be honest. I don't think that that's – I think Gritty just came in and he was so different than everybody else. And the way that they just – they brought him out all of a sudden. He's, he's this weird-looking, ugly dude in that and said that he lived under the stadium when they built it and he lives on hot dogs and he's this and that and he's whatever, some kind of biochemical – accident or something that sounds that like our entire staff yeah it's, it's he's just, perfectly philadelphia yeah, absolutely and gritty is such a hockey term i mean yeah. every hockey team wants to be gritty it was the perfect fit and whoever plays that role for them does a phenomenal yeah, job with it's it. a genius mascot like you know there's some really funny bits that he does in the arena we'll see what the kraken come up with with their mascot It'll be like like you know a lot of people out there don't the blackhawks have a mascot he's tommy hawk <laughs> tommy hawk oh is that okay is that you know? Well, it's probably not Socially anymore, okay. but it, it, it is for now until they make them change it. All right. Las Vegas Aces last night, even the series, the semifinals, they defeat the Connecticut Sun 83-75 last night. Series tied at one, 14 lead changes, 20 ties in this game. Asia Wilson put the Aces on her back, 29 points, a career high. Frank, you had to be impressed with the Aces last night, especially in the fourth quarter. I was impressed with Asia Wilson. I wasn't impressed with the team for most of the game. I was definitely impressed with her. I didn't understand what Connecticut was doing on the sideline. I think there was 634 left in the third. They hit a couple of threes. They're up by like six, and they're jumping up and down and high-fiving like they just won the game. It's like, you're waking up the sleeping giant. What are you doing? Yeah. And she Asia Wilson kept them close enough, and then they blew it away in the end. But, no, she was sensational last night. She went, I think she also had seven blocks. Yeah, she did. Seven blocks. It's exactly. a block party and a score party. She did it all. All right. I think so the, she sold the popcorn at halftime to the fans that weren't there. That weren't there. Exactly. No, no concessions over there at the IMG Academy. In the Wubble. There you go. All right. We'll look forward to game number three tomorrow, best of five. All right. Tonight, we've got the Heat and the Celtics. The Celtics, a three and a half point favorite in this one. We'll see if the Heat can uh, can uh, come back and, and win after that loss the other night. And then the Lakers, who lost last night to Denver, they'll have their game number four tomorrow. So, All right, look forward to it. Uh, We're back at it again tomorrow. We'll talk some football Friday at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Come on out and join us at 2 o'clock. And the Aces should win easily because at night the sun goes down. (laughs) 
There is. That's our ballpark, Frank. If you miss any part of the show or those one-liners, you know where to go. The website at tcmartinshow.com. We'll catch you manana at 2.30.